Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm so excited to learn from you today and hear all of the really insightful information that I know you're going to share. So I want to jump right in. Can you please introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? It's a real pleasure to be here. My name is Katie Hausman and I'm an associate professor at the Ford School of Public Policy at the University of Michigan. And my role is as an energy and environmental economist. And Dr. Hausman, can you tell me in what areas does your research focus? Yeah, it's really all the ways that energy markets interact with policy and especially with environmental policy. So how do different electricity markets contribute to climate change and to air pollution? And also how do climate and environmental policies then impact electricity and natural gas markets? Why is it necessary to focus on environmental and energy economics specifically? Can you provide some insight on the impact that energy can have on the economy? Yeah, the energy sectors that I mentioned, electricity and natural gas, but also oil, which I work less on, but have a little bit of work on. These are sectors that impact every person in the United States, right? So every person uses energy. Uh, we spend a lot of our budget on energy. Every business uses energy as a key input. So it's there are these really important sectors that experience a lot of changes over time because of policy and also because of you know, outside forces. And so it's just something that we need to really be mindful of how these markets are interacting with literally every person and every business in the economy. On the environmental side, um, you know, energy sectors are a key contributor to climate change. Um, and they're also a key contributor to air pollution and water pollution. And so we face really important trade-offs. I love that my home is heated by natural gas in our cold Michigan winters and that I'm, you know, that my local utility is literally keeping the lights on. So it's a really important service. And at the same time, we need to be mindful of how it contributes to environmental problems and the best way to address those environmental problems. I read a paper that you co-authored titled Inequality, Information Failures, and Air Pollution. And in that paper, you examine how the role of information plays an important part in generating disparities and disproportionate pollution exposure in low-income communities and communities of color. Can you explain some of that information and share a few key insights from that research? So we've known for decades that um, different communities and different households experience different levels of pollution exposure at their homes and at their businesses. In this paper, we focus on housing markets. So we're really thinking about where people live. Decades of research showing this and also, you know, it's the focus of a large and growing environmental um, justice movement in the United States including really active community organizations in Michigan, like in Detroit. Um, so the role of economists to date has been to focus on people's budget constraints. So if I'm a household on a really strict budget, 
I'm trading off, you know, how much money I can spend on food, how much money I can spend on healthcare, how much money I can spend on my housing. I'm probably not going to be able to buy or rent a home in a neighborhood with like tons of green space and really great air quality. Um, you know, I'm just going to have to make the tough choice to buy or rent a, a low cost house, even if that leads me to um, exposure to like air pollution. Um, so the role of economists to date has been to sort of focus on that mechanism. What my co-author Sam Stolper and I wanted to do was focus on how that budget constraint interacts with how much information people are able to access about air quality um, or other environmental problems in neighborhoods when they're choosing where to live. Um, so if you know, if people don't actually have access to good information about where particulate matter is high or where ozone levels are high, then they can't actually make informed good decisions about how to trade off the different things that they want for themselves and for their family. And there are lots of reasons that people can't get that, that information. Um, air quality monitoring is not great, so some neighborhoods don't have it at all. Um, communication of air quality monitoring data has some gaps, so you can't always figure out where things are, you know, in a neighborhood you might want to live in. Um, and so there are lots of reasons, like society-wide, I would guess that many of our listeners don't know whether, for instance, they live in, an, in a county that's so-called in attainment for ozone or for particulate matter. Um, so that just makes it really hard for people to make those smart decisions. And it interacts with the like low versus high income inequities that we have in our society. Because when we find out that pollution was worse than we thought, maybe um, you know, a factory was emitting more than we realized because of some sort of malfunctioning equipment, or maybe the particulate matter that was coming out of, an, uh, out of a point source was actually more damaging to people's health than we realized. Well, who's gonna be hurt by that? It's gonna hurt most the low-income families who lived nearby or lived downwind because it was cheap to do so. Can you talk a bit about how this research provides an economic lens to the problem of environmental justice? Environmental justice is just so important right now in the United States and globally. And it's great to see the Environmental Protection Agency on a national level really putting resources to understanding the problem. You know, the listening tour that EPA administrator took on um, and the different initiatives that are coming out of the EPA to address environmental injustice. It's just part of the social injustices and social inequities that we face as a society uh, across many different dimensions. And here it leads to disproportionate rates of things like asthma um, and other health problems. What we hoped to contribute in this paper was really thinking about this, you know, this lack of high quality data, which is something that environmental justice advocates have been talking about for years. And to point to how that messes up market incentives and the way that um, dynamics play out in markets. So our paper is part of a much broader call for better information, um, both better data on where pollution problems are the worst and also better communication of that um, and better listening to what local environmental justice advocates are really worried about. 
But again, I think the good news is that the EPA is working on this. So they're doing better mapping, mapping tools to give information back to communities. And they're also doing these listening tours to better understand the concerns that local communities have. What are the opportunities or possible solutions to the issue of information regarding pollution exposure? And what can be done to assist those in low-income communities? I think it's a combination of things. Local community groups have things like bucket brigades where they're trying to get their own information. So how can we support those initiatives? But also how can we have better comprehensive monitoring networks nationwide? And how can we communicate health risks to people? You know, a lot of people will be aware that air quality contributes to asthma and respiratory illnesses, but they might not realize that also contributes to cardiovascular issues and even cognitive problems and dementia later in life. Um, so making sure that people have access to that health information uh, as well. Our paper is looking about at information and it's also looking at income-based inequalities. But you know, the, a much a very closely related but separate and also hugely important issue is racial inequalities in housing markets. And so we don't address this in the paper, but I just wanted to point out to our listeners, you know, that there's also an important dimension of how things like redlining and historically racist policies have played out and also how current racism in housing markets leads to inequalities as well. Um, inequalities in like access to high, house, high quality housing at a reasonable cost, and therefore, as a result, access to you know, healthy housing that doesn't come with environmental degradation. Thank you. Certainly very important to add in and make sure that we note. I want to ask about another paper that you recently co-authored, this one titled, Who Will Pay for Legacy Utility Costs? which considers what the transition to the growing movement of electrifying everything to reduce carbon dioxide emissions means for customers who are left behind. And this seems to continue on the, the information that you were just sharing. So can you talk about that paper and share a little bit about the information that you collected throughout that research? This paper has been a lot of fun to work on, um, and it's on a policy topic that's really important to me, which is how decarbonization can play out in the US, how we can make sure that decarbonization happens in, an, in a cost-effective way, a clean way, and an equitable way, all at the same time, which is a really tall order. <laughs> so decarbonization, experts have said that one of the key ways to get our economy to a much lower level of climate damaging carbon dioxide emissions is to transition buildings away from natural gas for heating and cooking to electricity. Again, I currently heat and cook with natural gas and it's been great for me as you know, as a homeowner, um, but it does lead to climate damaging emissions. Um, so decarbonization experts have said, let's get away from heating with natural gas and move towards things like electric heat pumps or induction stoves or other kinds of electric-based um, building usage. And you can see the end goal and how it might be great to eventually get there to, you know, to use mostly electricity and to have that electricity come from clean sources. Um, but in the interim, there's a really sort of challenging dynamic that plays out. 
So imagine that you live in a neighborhood where let's say a third of people have moved away from natural gas and now they use only electricity in their homes. But in your neighborhood, all of the natural gas lines still need to you know, run through the streets and still need to be maintained by your local utility um, because other people are still hooked up to those gas lines. So your utility still needs to do the same maintenance. They still need to pay off you know, old capital costs, um, so-called sunk costs or historical legacy costs. So your utilities cost structure has not changed all that much. They're not selling as much gas, but all of their sort of infrastructure and maintenance costs are largely the same. At the same time, they have fewer customers who are helping to pay for those. And so either they're gonna to have to cut returns to shareholders, or they're going to have to raise prices for everybody that's still on their gas network. So there's this interim problem during the move to electrify when some people still use natural gas, some people don't. Prices can really rise for the people who are still on the natural gas network, or you could have utility financing problems, um, which can cause problems for like maintenance and pipeline safety and lots of other things. So it's just a really tricky dynamic to trace out. Can you talk about studying policy or translating research into a policy and how kind of walk through the the process of how you do that and how how important it is to leverage research and expertise to share that information in you know developing or informing policymakers on things as policies are coming about I think Michigan is really good at this, and especially the Ford School to toot the home, horn of my academic home. Um, and the Ford School has been really supportive to allow me to try to get my research to be really, you know, policy relevant, and also to be able to feed that information back to policymakers. So this is something I've sort of grown into doing more over my time here at Michigan. I think it's really important for um, researchers like myself who are trying to work on policy relevant stuff to just always be listening to how policy discussions are playing out. Um, actually, my students are really helpful on this because they bring me questions that I might not have thought about. You know, they really have their ear to the ground and they push me on it in class, which is great. Um, and then it's also about finding opportunities to relate, you know, to uh, frequently engage with policymakers in an ongoing way. Um, and again, the Ford School has been really supportive of this. We have a lot of events, we bring people to campus. Um, and, you know, also I get the chance occasionally to travel to DC or to California and to talk to regulators there. Um, so I'm trying, I still have a, a long ways to go in this, but I think it's a really important if you work in like energy and climate change, um, to make sure that you're you're up to speed and you're staying relevant to these ongoing discussions. Thank you. I appreciate you adding that in. Do you have a sustainability or an environment energy related tip or piece of information that you can share with me and our audience or something that you hope everyone keeps in mind? I think the number one thing people need to do is to keep this in mind when they're voting and when they're interacting with their representatives in whatever way that is, right? So like my brother-in-law was trying to reduce his bill by his energy bill by turning out the light bulb in his garage more often by like remembering to flip the switch when he left the garage, right? Um, and that's like a laudable thing to do, but it's just tiny. It's just this tiny drop in the bucket. 
Um, so a lot of it is how do we engage with our uh, representatives and make sure that they know that this is something we care about and something where we want to see broad-based policy change and not leave it up to just you know, individual actions that are um, motivated by wanting to make the world a better place. It's really up to, to government and how to society as a whole addresses these like sustained failures across <laughs> many um, you know, many sectors of our society. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today and that you shared so much wonderful information with me and with our Michigan Minds audience. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.